everybody welcome to the 64th episode of our world news podcast this is going from october 15th to the 28th missed last week so this one is another two-week episode before we get started of course this podcast is part of atlas news along with all of our other news episodes check out the legal minds journal a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs art and culture take a look at the journal's bulletin from the borderlands a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash analyzeeducate, ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyzeeducate, or substack at analyzeeducate.substack.com. You can find all those links in the show notes below. And we will head into the episode. All right, getting started here. We're looking at Europe. Just a quick note in the South Caucasus, Russia's peacekeeping force is still operating in Nagorno-Karabakh, despite the fact that nobody lives there anymore. Russia's peacekeeping force in the region recently reported setting up 14 new checkpoints in the region to ensure traffic security. Some of those checkpoints are jointly operated with Azerbaijan. Of course, as I was saying, this force is pointless now, considering none of the 120,000 people that used to live there a couple months ago live in the region anymore. Moving on to the Russo-Ukrainian war on the 17th, Ukrainian forces using U.S.-donated Army tactical missile systems, otherwise known as ATACMS, struck two different Russian air bases inside Ukrainian territory. I'm sorry, occupied Ukrainian territory. Recently, the U.S. confirmed that it would be giving ATACMS to Ukraine, which the latter has been requesting for over a year now. The munitions are fired from a multiple launch rocket system, and it does have a much longer range than other munitions fired from an MLRS. What we actually didn't know is that those munitions were already in Ukrainian hands. U.S. and Ukrainian officials said that they waited to make the announcement in order to keep the element of surprise. Russian air bases inside Ukraine were thought to be a key target for ATACMS by some well-known analysts, including Rob Lee and Michael Kaufman. The strikes on the 17th reportedly destroyed nine Russian helicopters, along with an air defense system and some ammunition. This is likely one of the most damaging days for the Russian military aviation since the start of the invasion. On the 16th, Abdel Salem Lusad, a Tunisian man, shot and killed two Swedish citizens and wounded a third person in Brussels. As a result of this attack, Belgium raised its terror warning to its highest level. Lassad wasn't caught until he was shot and killed in a Brussels cafe 11 hours after the attack began. During the manhunt for him, he posted a video pledging allegiance to the Islamic State. The attack came during a soccer game between Belgium and Sweden for the Euro 2024 qualifier. That game ended at halftime and the stadium was evacuated due to the attack. Belgian prosecutors believe the attack may be linked to the Israel-Hamas war, as Lusad shared multiple posts on social media in support of the Palestinian people. He was in Belgium illegally after his asylum application was denied in 2020. He was ordered to leave the country, but that obviously never happened. Moving on to the Middle East, of course, we're looking at Israel. We'll start off with the reported casualties in the war so far. And again, these are just reported casualties. These are not confirmed. Looking at Gaza, we have 7,326 killed, 15,288 injured. Looking at Israel, we have 1,403 killed, 5,444 injured. In the West Bank, we have 100 killed. Those, the vast majority of those are Palestinians. 
We also have 1,828 injured. Looking at Lebanon, we have 41 killed, 9 injured. Looking at Syria, we have 2 killed. Looking at Egypt, we have 9 injured. Those 9 injured in Egypt are actually Egyptian soldiers. There was an incident within the past week or week and a half where an Israeli tank on the border had a negligent discharge and fired at an Egyptian border post. Uh, the situation is okay now. It's been resolved between the two countries. Nine were injured. Thankfully, nobody was killed. Total reported casualties, we have 8,872 people killed, 22,568 injured. And right now, I am recording this at around 7 o'clock at night Pacific time on the 28th. So I'm sure the toll is higher than that at that point. But those are the most recent numbers I have. Israel's ground assault on Gaza is officially begun as of today, the 28th, at around 9 p.m. local time. That's when Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, publicly announced it. In his address, Netanyahu said, quote, we have entered the second stage in the war against Hamas. We are in another war of independence, and we will win, end quote. The main assault was preceded by shaping operations, combined armor and infantry raids in the northern Gaza up until the 27th, those raids would conclude and the troops would cross back over the border into Israel. But on the 27th, two large operations involving thousands of troops were launched into Gaza. One axis was in the vicinity of Beit Hanun, and the other axis was in the vicinity of Al-Burej. The forces involved in those missions remain in Gaza, and they are continuing operations as we speak. Israel is continuing to launch air and artillery strikes against targets in Gaza. Senior Hamas officials are still being killed in these strikes. This includes Abdullah Taha al-Shanti. He is a member of the Hamas Legislative Council, as well as Major General Jahed Mushahin of the National Security Forces. Palestinian armed factions in Gaza are continuing to launch strikes against Israel using rockets, drones, mortars, and anti-tank guided missiles. Hamas has also been trying to attack Israeli natural gas rigs off the coast using rockets and unmanned submarines. Armed factions in Lebanon, including Hezbollah, are also fighting against the Israeli Defense Forces in cross-border clashes. There have been no known infiltrations into Israel from Gaza in recent days, but one Palestinian terrorist was caught trying to re-enter Gaza on the 18th. It is believed that some of those who entered Israel in the first days of the attack are still hiding inside the country. Clashes are also ongoing in the West Bank, as I alluded to. On the 19th, members of Palestinian Islamic Jihad's Tukaram Battalion attacked members of Israel's border police with IEDs near the Al-Shams refugee camp. Ten officers were wounded and Major Maxim Reznikov, a reserve officer with an undercover unit, was killed. And that's just one example of some of the fighting that's going on in the West Bank. After a lot of negotiations and conflicting reporting, humanitarian aid convoys are finally flowing into Gaza from the Rafah border crossing with Egypt. Egypt has been reinforcing the Rafah checkpoint since the conflict began with soldiers and military vehicles. Israel claims that some of the weapons used by Hamas in the initial attack may have come from North Korea. That includes some RPG munitions and other things as well. Hamas has claimed that Israel airstrikes have killed 13 hostages being held in Gaza. Those claims have not been verified, so take that with a major grain of salt. The Wall Street Journal reported that 2,000 American troops have been reportedly put on standby orders to support the IDF if and when the ground assault on Gaza begins. Of course, it already has. This is strictly support personnel only. No infantrymen have been put on standby, according to the Wall Street Journal. The White House has confirmed that 32 Americans are among the dead in Israel. It is believed that at least 11 Americans are being held hostage. 
Additionally, six Canadian citizens are among the dead. Canada is currently making plans to possibly evacuate at least 14,000 of its citizens from Lebanon, but it is advising them to leave now due to civil unrest and border clashes with Israel. Australia is likewise advising its citizens not to travel to Lebanon. The estimated 15,000 Aussies in the country are being told to take the first commercial option available out of the country if they wish to leave. Over 220 other people are being held hostage in Gaza right now. Over 135 of those have citizenship with other countries, although most of them are dual citizens. Additionally, 54 Thai nationals are among the 220. Thailand provides the largest pool of foreign laborers to Israel. Fun fact, roughly 30,000 Thai nationals currently work in Israel, mostly in agriculture. At least 24 Thai citizens have been killed in Israel and another 21 remain missing. So far, only four hostages have been released. This includes two Americans with dual citizenship. And actually, let me correct myself real quick. There are actually over 230 hostages inside Gaza. That number was recently updated today, the 28th. South Korea has been able to evacuate 163 of its citizens using Republic of Korea Air Force assets. They were also able to evacuate 51 Japanese and six Singaporean citizens on that same flight. As of the 18th, about 450 South Korean nationals remained in Israel. I haven't been able to find updated numbers since then. My man Sinotalk, who is our Indo-Pacific desk chief for the Bulletin from the Borderlands, has been making some posts regarding China's stance and reactions to the war between Israel and Hamas. You can find those on his Instagram at Sino underscore talk and his substack as well. King Abdullah II of Jordan has confirmed that neither his country nor Egypt will take in more Palestinian refugees. About half of Jordan's population is of Palestinian descent. Spanish Minister of Social Rights Iane Ballara has publicly called for Spain and the EU to cut diplomatic ties with Israel and impose economic sanctions against Prime Minister Netanyahu and all other officials responsible for the operation in Gaza. Israel responded to these calls by saying that some of the members of the Spanish government have aligned themselves with, quote, ISIS-style terrorism. Before making that public statement, Ballara attended a pro-Palestinian rally in Madrid on the same day. After the rally, she tweeted that, quote, dignity has filled the streets in Madrid today to urge the end of the genocide that Israel is planning against the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. Freedom for Palestine, end quote. Her calls for sanctions and cutting diplomatic ties were also supported by Irene Montero, acting equality minister, and Alberto Garzon, the acting consumer affairs minister. Fearful of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and its proxies, Israel has hit the Aleppo airport with airstrikes multiple times, effectively putting the airport out of commission. Of course, that is Aleppo, Syria. On the 17th, there was an explosion at the Al-Ali Baptist Hospital in Gaza City. Hamas immediately blamed Israel and said that 500 people plus were killed in the explosion. Israel soon after said that the explosion was the result of a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket that malfunctioned. Some news organizations, including the New York Times, immediately ran with the Hamas claim that an Israeli airstrike using a 2,000-pound JDAM was to blame. Video that was published from the site on the next day shows the majority of the damage to the hospital parking lot with multiple burnt-out vehicles. There is also minimal damage to the buildings surrounding the parking lot. No large craters can be found in the area, which a 2,000-pound JDAM would certainly have caused. Given the lack of major structural damage to the hospital, the figure of 500 deaths is likely greatly exaggerated. 
from all available evidence that we've seen so far, this incident was more likely than not to be caused by a failed rocket than an Israeli airstrike. Clashes almost immediately broke out after this explosion happened between Palestinians and Israeli security forces in the West Bank. There were also riots in Lebanon where the Israeli embassy was stormed and where hundreds or even thousands of protesters also surrounded the U.S. embassy. In Istanbul, Turkey, rioters shot fireworks at the Israeli consulate. There were even pro-Palestinian riots in Berlin and protests in Tunisia and Iraq as well. This incident happened right before President Joe Biden boarded Air Force One to travel to Israel. As a result of the incident, Jordan canceled a summit that was set to be held between Biden, Egyptian officials, and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. During Biden's visit to Israel, he said that he would be asking Congress for a, quote, unprecedented aid package for Israel. He announced $100 million in humanitarian aid for the Gaza Strip as well. On the 18th, the Israeli embassy in Argentina was briefly evacuated due to a bomb threat that was later found to be a false alarm. Also, hundreds of protesters on the same day with the pro-Palestinian Jewish Voices for Peace were in the U.S. capital demanding a ceasefire for the Israeli-Hamas war. Hundreds of protesters were arrested during that demonstration. On the 19th, Arleigh Burke class destroyer, the USS Kearney, intercepted three Iranian-backed Houthi cruise missiles and eight drones launched from Yemen. Kearney was operating in the Red Sea at the time. The missiles and drones were not aiming at the destroyer. Israel believes that the attack was aimed at them. Since the 17th, there have been at least 17 drone and rocket attacks on U.S. troops in the region. Four of those attacks have been in Syria, in Derizor, in Al-Tamf. The other 13 were in Iraq at Al-Assad Air Base, Al-Harir Air Base in Iraqi Kurdistan, and Camp Victory next to the Baghdad International Airport. An unnamed defense official recently told Liz Frieden of Fox News that 30 U.S. servicemen have been wounded in drone and rocket attacks in the region. The Pentagon has confirmed 24 casualties so far. All of those personnel were wounded on the 18th. 20 troops in Al-Tamf, Syria, sustained minor injuries by two suicide drones. Later in that same day, four U.S. troops were wounded in two separate drone attacks on the Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq. All four 24 troops have returned to duty since these attacks. The Islamic resistance of Iraq claimed responsibility for these attacks, despite the Pentagon saying that it sees no direct linkage between these attacks and the situation between Israel and Hamas. Iraqi militias claim that these attacks were indeed part of the Al-Aqsa Flood, which is Hamas's name for the current war against Israel. The U.S. military finally responded to these attacks on the order of President Biden on the 27th last night. U.S. Air Force F-16s hit two targets belonging to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and some of its proxy militias. During one of the drone attacks in Iraq, a U.S. military contractor suffered a heart attack while seeking shelter, and he passed away as a result. The USS Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group and the Bataan Amphibious The USS Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group and the Bataan Amphibious Readiness Group, along with the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit, are still en route to link up with the Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group off the coast of Israel. The Blue Ridge class amphibious command ship, the USS Mount Whitney, has been deployed to the eastern Mediterranean from Italy. Whitney is the flagship of the U.S. 6th Fleet and is one of only two amphibious command ships that the Navy has. 
The ship carries a vice admiral on board as opposed to an aircraft carrier, which carries a lower rank rear admiral. The vice admiral will take command of the task force off the coast of Israel. We have an update on U.S. force posture in CENTCOM. Of course, this does not include all U.S. troops in the region. Thanks to Ian Ellis and Intel Schizo on Twitter for their infographics that really helped out a lot. As I said, the forward carrier strike group is off the coast of Israel right now. The Ike carrier strike group just passed through the Strait of Gibraltar today, and it is currently in the Mediterranean. The Bataan Amphibious Readiness Group is currently in the Red Sea. There are also six U.S. Coast Guard cutters in the Gulf of Oman on a scheduled deployment. They've been operating there for 20-plus years, so that's nothing out of the ordinary. Nine other ships in the region are currently operating, but they are not assigned to the task force in the eastern Mediterranean. This includes guided missile destroyers, fleet replenishment ships, and ammunition ships as well. 900 U.S. troops have been or will be deployed to CENTCOM. I assume these are part of the 2,000-ish that were put on standby, as these 900 were said to already be on standby orders. These troops will operate Patriot, Avenger, and THAAD air defense batteries along with headquarters elements. Looking at allied forces in the region, the United Kingdom's littoral response group South is currently operating near Cyprus and British aircraft are flying maritime patrols along the eastern Mediterranean as well. Standing NATO Maritime Group 2 is currently operating in the Sea of Crete. French helicopter carrier FS Tonnery is currently en route to the eastern Mediterranean as well. It was deployed recently. That carrier will provide supplemental support for Gazan hospitals. The carrier has 20 rooms with two operating rooms and seven intensive care beds. It also has an x-ray room and it has 69 other beds. 50 of those are for intensive care or can be used for such, I should say. This is according to Casas Belly. Chinese forces are in the region as well. A lot of people are making it seem like the Chinese presence in the region is a big deal. It is not. China has been doing naval escort patrols in the area for over a decade, as Intel Schizo points out. Each task force is only three ships, and there's usually only one task force at a time. The only times where there are two Chinese task force in the area is when one task force is being relieved by another, which just happened on the 7th. The 44th People's Liberation Army Navy Naval Escort Task Force is currently in the Persian Gulf, and the 45th PLAN Naval Escort Task Force is currently in the Gulf of Aden. We will take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back with the Americas Bulletin from the Borderlands released on the 15th. We cover Guatemala's president-elect facing obstacles to his inauguration. Moving on to Colombia, Colombian military helicopter crashed in Antioquia on the 15th. The crash left 11 people wounded, nine soldiers, and two civilians. The cause of crash is still under investigation. Moving on to Mexico, Hurricane Otis hit the Mexican state of Guerrero on the 25th. The hurricane was originally forecasted to make landfall as a tropical storm, but within 24 hours of that assessment, it was upgraded to a Category 5, one of the most severe storms to ever be recorded in the eastern Pacific. Acapulco was hit the hardest on the 25th. The hurricane caused a lot of damage and killed at least 27 people. There are some conflicting reports as to what the true death toll is. The government still only claims 27. However, NPR claims that local 
response teams have pulled at least 50 bodies out of the ocean. So it's really hard to tell what the true toll is. 500,000 people in the state lost power, although 200,000 regained it after a short period of time. It's estimated that $15 billion in damage was caused by the hurricane. Moving on to the U.S., we got a presidential race update. Looking at polls, Biden's approval is at 39%. That remains the same from our last episode two weeks ago. And his disapproval is at 54. That is down two points from the last episode. Trump's favorability is at 40% and his unfavorability is at 55. Those are both down one point. Looking at the Republican primary, Trump is at 57%. That is down one point. DeSantis is at 15. That is up two points. And Vivek Ramaswamy has been overtaken by Nikki Haley for the third place, who is pulling at 8%. Also, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, former Vice President Mike Pence, actually just dropped out today, the 28th. Moving on, on the 14th, Joseph Scuba, a 71-year-old landlord in the Chicago area, killed a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy and wounded his mother. Prosecutors say that the attack is linked to the war between Israel and Hamas. Scuba stabbed Waidi al-Fayoumi 26 times with a military-style knife and put his mother, Hanan Shanin, in the hospital. On October 11th, Scuba wanted the mother and son to move out of the home that they were renting, according to Shanin. On the same day, he confronted Shanin about, quote, what was going on in the Middle East. Assistant State's Attorney Michael Fitzgerald claims that Scuba told Shanine that he was, quote, angry at her for what was going on, end quote. Yusef Hanan, a family friend, told NBC News that Scuba shouted, quote, you Muslims have to die when he entered their apartment. He also shouted, quote, you are killing our children in Israel. You Palestinians don't deserve to live, end quote. Hanan says that Shanine did not have a reason to believe that Scuba would hurt her son because he was like a grandfather to the boy and even built him a treehouse. When Scuba entered the apartment, Waidi ran to him for a hug before Scuba attacked him, according to Hanan. In court, Scuba's public defender claimed that he served in the U.S. military from 1969 to 1973 and had medical issues using these as reasons that he should not remain in jail during the process of the case. The judge ordered Scuba to remain in custody. On November 15th, the Marine Corps will designate, sorry, redesignate the 12th Marine Regiment to the 12th Marine Littoral Regiment. 12th MLR will remain in Okinawa with the purpose of operating in the first island chain in the Pacific. This will be the second MLR in the Marine Corps after the third MLR was activated in Hawaii last year. The 4th Marine Regiment is expected to be changed to 4th MLR at some point in the future as well. Moving on, Lance Corporal Austin Schwank, 19 years old, with 2nd Battalion 6th Marine Regiment, was shot and killed by another Marine on Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, near Barracks Building HR-225. The suspect was arrested, and NCIS is investigating the incident as a homicide. The suspect has not been named. Lance Corporal Schwank graduated from high school last year, and he joined the Marine Corps right after. Moving on, over the past couple of weeks, the House of Representatives held three votes for Republican nominee Jim Jordan of Ohio to become House Speaker. He did not receive the 217 votes it needed to become Speaker. Tom Emmer of Minnesota, the House Majority Whip, was nominated after, and he withdrew his nomination just after four hours when it was clear that he would not have enough votes either. 
Mike Johnson of Louisiana, the leader of the House Republican Caucus, was nominated after, and he received 220 votes on the first vote on the House floor. Johnson is now the Speaker of the House, succeeding Kevin McCarthy of California. Johnson is known for his conservative leanings, which are guided by his Southern Baptist beliefs. He has said that the first order of business in the House will be securing aid for Israel. And moving on, update to this story. Representative Jamal Bowman of New York, Democrat, has pleaded guilty to falsely pulling a fire alarm, which is a misdemeanor. On September 30th, when House Democrats were trying to delay a vote on a continuing resolution to fund the government, Bowman pulled a fire alarm in the Cannon House office building. Republican congressmen believe that Bowman pulled the alarm to delay the vote so that the midnight deadline would pass to fund the government, thus initiating a government shutdown. If this is true, this would be delaying an official proceeding, which in itself is a crime, but he was not charged with that. Bowman claims that he did not know that the lever he pulled was a fire alarm and that he thought it was a lever to open a nearby door. He said that he was in a rush to make the vote for the resolution. House Republicans also said that they're not buying that because Jamal Bowman is a school principal, so he should know what a fire alarm looks like. Security camera footage that was released last week shows Bowman removing multiple warning signs in front of the double doors next to the fire alarm and then proceeding to pull the alarm. He then calmly walks away as the fire alarm sounds, passing Capitol Police officers without saying anything to them. As part of a deal with prosecutors, Bowman will pay a fine of $1,000 and write an apology to the Capitol Police. On the 25th in Lewiston, Maine, a man armed with a rifle opened fire on two locations, the Spare Time Bowling Alley and the Shemenegi's Bar. The shooter was identified as Robert Card, a recently retired U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant First Class with 20 years of service. He was a 92F Petroleum Supply Specialist with a secondary military occupational specialty as a firearms instructor. Contrary to some reports, Card did not go on any combat deployments during his time in the Army. Card has been dealing with mental health issues, according to his family and state authorities. A bulletin that was put out by the state says that Card claimed to, quote, hear voices and threats to shoot up the National Guard base in Saco, Maine. He was also placed in a mental institution for two weeks this past summer. A statewide manhunt to find Card was initiated areas as far away as 50 miles from Lewiston were placed on shelter-in-place notices. Coast Guard assets were deployed to assist as well after it was discovered that a boat he owned was missing from his residence. Even Canada's border force was placed on alert due to fears that he might try to cross the border. Card was found on the night of the 27th near a recycling center that he used to work at in Lisbon, Maine. The cause of death was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He killed 18 people and wounded another 23. As all I have for you guys right now, I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me, and I am sorry for not getting this out last week, but thank you for uh, being patient with me. You can find this on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram, Analyze and Educate. Please consider supporting us again, Patreon, patreon.com slash Analyze Educate ko-fi.com slash analyze educate or analyze educate.substack.com of course those links are in the show notes below be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast that helps us out a lot as well that is all i have for you guys see you soon